How's it going, everyone? Today's special guests are Barry Kirch, the drummer for the Platinum Rock Band Shinedown, and one of our favorite guests is Keith Cook, who is a five-time world champion, actor, stuntman, overall incredible individual. And I must say, Keith, the previous talk with you has been one of our most well-received, and every day I still get messages saying, man, I had no idea that guy was kicking Luke Hag's ass, or <laughs> I, had no, I had no idea how prolific this guy was in the actual martial arts community. So thank you for coming back on here. Thanks for having me on again. I had no idea that it, you know, that you, that it did well. That's great. Yeah, no, we, uh, every day I get a message or a Twitter or someone, hey man, like you gotta, this guy, like, is this guy on social media? Like, I had no idea this guy was doing the Alita movie. And so oh, it's, yeah. it, it's kind of cool that people are receptive of that. I enjoyed it. I watched it. So one of the cool things I'm doing with for the month of December is kind of bringing on different guests that might ne not necessarily be in the same realm of whatever. We have a drummer, martial arts here, but a lot of things we can all kind of relate to are the fitness and the love of martial arts and kind of that stuff right here. So let's just jump in here. With COVID going on, how has your routines kind of changed specifically to maybe eating habits, health, fit fitness, and stuff like that? I'll start with you, Keith. Well, uh, as far as eating, I'm eating exactly the same as before COVID. Um, uh, the, you know, I'm not going into work. I used to teach a 6 a.m. fitness class Monday through Friday every day and an 8.30 every day also. Now I'm just doing the 8.30 and we're doing them live on, on a Zoom. Um, and my wife really likes that because I was always gone. I wouldn't see the girls in the morning, you know, uh, for breakfast or anything. And now I'm kind of hanging around. And, and so it's that part has been really cool. Um, and not not I'll have to admit, not teaching two fitness classes every morning has been great. Just doing one. <laughs> and, talking really about it. and what I do is I work out with the class and, and I I'm actually loving it. Uh, the Zooms are hard because you have to. Uh, you know, I, I still teach a lot of live Zoom kids martial arts classes, too, for our clients that we already have because we haven't been open since I think we closed on March 13th and we haven't been able to open back up. So, um, you know, I have these clients out there. And so, uh, like I, I mentioned, I've been doing some of them privately in their backyards or they come here and then we do the Zooms for groups and I love it. You know, I think I think uh, having some experience in the film business has helped because you're always thinking of the POV, you know, and stuff like that. Sure. And so I always like I, I turn my back on them so they can copy me, because one of the things that I've learned through teaching for years and years is to put yourself in a position where you can present it in a way where the person learning doesn't have to turn it around in their head or something, you know. And so I try to I try to demonstrate things so when i face the camera i'll go southpaw when i turn away from the camera i go orthodox so they can kind of mirror me or copy me exactly you know and so it's i think it's been a really good experience that way what i've noticed is i've gotten in you know a lot better shape because i'm demonstrating so much stuff now like where when you're in class you go you, you have some kid in the class demonstrate it here johnny you know do that uh, double round kick now i'm doing it Everything, everything so anyway um I, I i like it i like it a lot actually so but that's the main difference yeah uh for me it's been uh, eating wise a lot easier at home because i love to cook and not being on the road touring uh trying to find a healthy meal or trying to order well uh 
after show meal or, or catering or whatnot, that can get pretty daunting as John knows. Um, so, you know, for me being home, the eating has been great. Uh, when it comes to the workout side of thing and the fitness side of thing, I've been sidelined a lot of this year cause I, I injured my elbow early, um, this year in January and, uh, really have been in, I've been PT and, uh, injections and the whole thing, trying to get my elbow back in shape and it's doing much better that kind of sidelined me, but in a good way, it took away the enjoyable workouts that I, I like to do with bodyweight stuff or, or boxing or, or martial arts and things of that nature. Those are gone. Took away my drumming, which is exercise as well for men. Um, and it forced me to do something I hate, which is running. And I've learned to enjoy it. I've learned to find that peace in my head, which is something I've fought my whole life. I've never enjoyed running. It's never been a thing for me. And I found it boring. So that's kind of been kind of the icing on the cake is being able to still force yourself to get exercise because that's good for the mental game, um, even though you are sidelined with maybe an injury and can't do what you enjoy. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, I hear you. What, what, what happened to your elbow? I mean, what, which, uh, what kind of injury is it? Uh, luckily, it was a severe tendonitis both sides. Oh, elbow, but I, I really tore it up pretty bad. And it's, it's kind of bittersweet because the way I did it was we had come home off tour last December and, uh, I was playing with my nine-year-old daughter. We were having a dance party late at night, one night having a good time. And she kept spinning into me and I kept putting her in the air, spinning into me, putting her in the air, spinning into me. And then I woke up the next morning. I was like, Whoa, that hurt. And then I didn't rest it. And I kept doing what I was normal doing, playing drums, working out, push-ups, pull-ups, that whole thing. And really messed it up to where I finally took a knee doctor and got all the scans and whatnot. And they're like, yeah, you're in trouble. So we did cortisone and PT. And then, you know, the cortisone's a Band-Aid, as, as you guys know. So it came back once that wore off and ended up doing some plasma injections and really focusing hard on, on rehabilitation. And it's been good. And I've learned a lot more about patience with myself and not pushing through the pain. And I can only imagine, Keith, how much you've gone through with the, the not only your, your martial arts experience, but the movies and, and being doing stunts and stuff. I'm sure you've been injured a million times. So, um, you know, when you're in pain and you really have to take a knee, how frustrating that can be. Yeah. I mean, I haven't told, I don't know if, I, if this came up, but I had uh, hip replacement surgery wow. about 10 years ago. And it's actually called hip resurfacing. And uh, what's his name? Murray, the tennis player, just had it. And he went back and won a tournament because it's not the one where they cut your femur off. They actually grind down the ball and then they put a new cup in the socket. And it's usually, you know, like combinations of very hard, lightweight metals that um, so it's metal on metal and your own body fluids kind of lubricate the joint. And it's been unbelievable. But mine, my left one didn't take and so i had to go back and do a revision because one of the parts fell out actually when i was riding my motorcycle it kind of vibrated out and man that was painful oh man i got home and i got off my bike and i couldn't stand up so um yeah i think mine pales in comparison to something of that nature <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm out, do you? <laughs> um, that and I got in a really bad motorcycle accident. This is after the hip surgery and I broke my back in two places and I broke my pelvis in three places and uh, like six ribs and it was, and I got a bad concussion, you know, mm -hmm. but uh, 
that was that, you know, it's surprising, you know, like when you're in good shape and I was in good shape at the time, uh, I, you tend to heal up faster, I think. And, and um, I, I hit a car, I kind of T-boned somebody came out of a driveway that wasn't looking and I hit the front of the car and went over the car and I was going about 50. And so I had to, I had to, you know, I knew that might happen one day. So I, I knew I didn't want to hit the car with my body. And so I went over the car and tucked, you know, and then just went boom, 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 down the street, you know. And, um, anyway. How hard is it when someone wants to get kind of, they don't want to wake up because they feel like, oh, I don't want to do this workout today. Personally, I'm better now, but with the onset of COVID, I had this kind of thing where it's like, I don't need to work out today or man, it's, it's dreary out. What are some of the mental hurdles stuff you guys kind of have to, or what advice do you have to people that kind of, they might not want to work out today. How do you kind of get them to understand that once you finish that workout, you're going to feel amazing. Right. Uh, for me, I think, uh, having accountability with a friend or a family member, you know, I can go to my wife and say tomorrow morning, I got to get up and run. Can you, kick me out the door you know if i'm not feeling it and there are those days where you're not feeling then i think on the and and then you do once you finish a workout and even if you you weren't all there or it wasn't your best workout or you didn't achieve the goals you wanted to in that workout or maybe you cut it short because you just weren't feeling it you got to listen to your body um you still feel better afterwards and then those days that you know you might skip for me not beating yourself up about it going, you know what, today it didn't happen, but tomorrow but you better believe it's going to happen and maybe then some, but you know, you get in that cycle of, Oh, I didn't do it. And then you start beating yourself up and then your mental game goes, ah, forget it. I'm not going to do it tomorrow either. I'm done with this. And and you can get caught in that cycle, especially when we're all stuck at home with the, 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 the COVID stuff. It's really hard. And I've got a lot of distractions between the wife, nine-year-old daughter, dogs, you know, making dinner every day, which is something I enjoy, but I go, Oh, I'm going to make that dinner and I'm going to skip my workout day. <laughs> you know, you got to push yourself. I love that point about not beating yourself up. I think that's, that's really key um, in a lot of areas, you know, and I've thought about it from a martial artist standpoint, you know, when, when you're sparring and you make a mistake and you take a shot or whatever, if you get stuck, like in regret of that shot and in, in a sense, you're beating yourself up for getting hit. And meanwhile, the other guy is just beating you up more. You know, <laughs> I'm like, no, I want to pay attention to what's happening right now. And I think that kind of an attitude where you beat yourself up, usually you're you're stuck in the past. You're not you're not in the present moment, you know. And and I also agree with you a lot on on the the, the thing of you know. I think this is very useful. I use it with kids a lot because kids you know, their parents are driving them to their lesson and they're giving the parent hell. I don't want to do it. I don't want to go. And I'm really on parents to really encourage their kids, not, not even in a negative way, just make them get, encourage them to come. Because if you can remember how you feel afterwards, which is what you were saying, rather than how you feel right now, oh, it'd be so much easier to stay home and watch TV or play video games than, you know, then go and do that workout. But if you can remember how you feel, you know, even during it and after it, if you can challenge yourself and you can make that the habit, it's so useful. I have to remind myself of that every day. I'm telling you, I have to tell myself, hey, dude, you're going to feel good after and every single time I do. And that's how much you can change your own attitude. You know, it's really empowering to be able to do that, you know. Sure. 
I've kind of noticed where, again, like I, I had this goal when COVID hit to like, well, if I'm going to be home a lot, I could make myself feel healthier, be better. I've lost over 15 pounds just doing every day. I do hundred pushups, hundred sit-ups before 5 PM. doesn't matter what increments I can knock them all out now at one sitting, but I need to create kind of like that structure of what I can do every day. And now I do the stuff with the chop fit or these other runs or yard work. I'm very, but I noticed the physical, the weight loss. Like I saw that, but the other thing I didn't realize, and I think you guys can both talk to this, that the physical fitness aspect is also partly your mental aspect too. Cause now mentally I feel, I wake up feeling my mind more clear. I'm more positive. I, if I am having a bad day, my mind is strong now where, Hey man, someone could be have much worse than you, like push on through. So I, I know Keith, we've talked about this before, but like Barry and stuff, like the idea of physically the fitness, but the mental fitness as well. Yeah. I think that really plays a, a huge part in it when you start not only seeing those gains, which is awesome, but you, once you break through that wall and you realize that it does so much for your brain and, and how focused you can become, uh, it, it be, you, you hear about runner's high and things of that nature. It is a, somewhat of an addiction. Um, I know that once Shinedown as a band started getting healthy over 10 years ago and working out together and working out every single show day, which is five days a week, uh, we'd work out show day, do an hour workout, and then we'd go into our meet and greets and stuff, and then we'd play a show for another hour and a half, two hours. Uh, it made the show 10 times better mentally and physically to where those days when maybe, um, you know, press was out of control and you just couldn't get the workout in, you'd go to stage frustrated. It'd be mentally frustrating because your body wasn't there a hundred percent. So really it is a mental game and it's a mental game to fight against it too and go, I got to get it done today. Even if it's just something, you know. When, when I used to compete, um, I, I, th I would say at the, at the peak, I was going to a tournament every two weeks and I wanted to try to peak for the tournaments. But basically, you just had to stay in shape because that's pretty often. And so um, I did a lot of running. I would run. I would weight train. I did a lot of push ups. I ran stairs, too. I did sprints, but I ran like three to five miles a day. And so I got so used to that. And a lot of my tournaments were on the East Coast. And and I think I brought this up in the other interview. I never wanted the guy, I never wanted to lose because the other guy was in better shape than me. And so fitness was a hot, very high priority for me. If somebody was more, more talented or they were faster or they, you know, whatever, uh, that, that um, I, I can understand, but I didn't want to be a lazy guy who didn't get myself in shape. So I'm gassed and now I'm getting my ass kicked, you know? And so, uh, I, I put the work in and one of the things that I remember that I used to do and people used to look at me like I was crazy was, you know, I, I always was on the West Coast, but a lot of the tournaments I went to were on the East Coast and we would have to compete at 9 a.m. We were the first division. And so um, I would get up and take a run to make sure I was awake because that was 6 a.m. my time. And so I'm competing at 6 a.m. my time. These guys are competing at 9 a.m. And so I felt it was an advantage for them. And so I didn't want to, so I would get up and go running. A lot of people were going to breakfast in the hotel and they'd see me running. What are you doing? Are you crazy? I'd say, no, this is what I do every day. You know, I'll be recovered by the time we're competing. You know, it wakes me up, makes me feel 
you know, clear, clear in my head and confident. I know I'm ready. My body has been fully warmed up. You know, it's a good feeling. Yeah. One of the uh, interesting things I want to talk to you guys about is if you're an upcoming band or an upcoming martial artist and you're slowly going up the ranks, winning your fights and getting the hit song, what's more difficult for you guys mentally and physically, the chase to get to number one or once you're at number one, maintaining that level as those young people that were once you are now dipping your heels? Uh, I think it's a little bit of both. You know, I think that initial chase might be harder in the respects of the amount of work you have to put in initially. Right. Um, you have to really, you're going to suffer, you're going to struggle, you're going to make mistakes, you're going to learn from those mistakes, and you have to play the game and you have to work up the ranks and, you know, all those kinds of things you do to become a popular band or to write a good song or to learn how to write a good song or, or even to learn martial arts, you got to get the basics down before you can move on and move up. And those are struggling times, getting those basics and getting better. And then once you get there, that's when you realize you can't rest on your laurels and you still have to have that work ethic. And that's where I think a lot of people screw up. They're like, yeah, I'm here. I earned it. I got my, my trophy. I've got my number one or whatever it might be. And that's just the beginning. You got to even work harder at that point because yes, there's a bunch of people that want to knock you off the ladder, but you also can't, you have to keep your humility and stay humble and realize that it can go away tomorrow and you better work just as hard to keep it once it's there. In, at least in my experience. Love that. I think, I think humility is, is huge, you know, and I think at times I've felt uh, overly confident or cocky, you know, and I, I think that's, a, that's one of the first things I would point to. And that's a big mistake. You know, I think being confident is great. You know, being cocky or arrogant is not great, you know, and I, I just remember I was working in, in Seattle. I'm from Seattle and I, I was working at a rent-a-car place when I was going to college. And I was trying to break out as a martial artist, you know. And one day, I, I don't know if you remember Steve Largent, the wide receiver for the Seattle Seahawks. He was an all pro. I think he, he was leading the NFL at the time. And he was famous in Seattle. Zorn, Steve, or Jim Zorn, Steve Largent connection, you know, was awesome. But I heard a story about him where he was, you know, some guy was covering the Seahawks and he went to a practice and, um, they were done with the practice, and there was one guy out on the field running pass patterns by himself, doing the fakes and everything, you know, making it as real as possible. Um, and the reporter asked the guy who was hosting him there, who is that? Is that one of the rookies? And he goes, that's Steve Largent. You know, staying after practice, working hard, and you hear this about the top athletes, and, and you know, I'm, I'm not saying I think I had that in that I, I, I was a very hard worker and I, I wanted to learn. I wanted to grow. And I always kept my eyes open. And I was like, what is that guy doing? What is that guy doing? I'd love to see someone who inspired me. And I would go, mm, let me find out how to get more like that guy, you know. And I think those kinds of things, you know, they keep you hungry and help you get through. I remember the first the time I got my first opportunity because I wasn't from a wealthy family or anything, I couldn't like hop on planes and go to tournaments across the country whenever I wanted or anything like that. One of my clients 
one of the dads of this little kid I was teaching traveled a lot in his job and he gave me some of his extra miles and I took a ticket and I went to Minneapolis for the Diamond Nationals and I won. And then I took that that prize money and put it towards my next plane ticket. And I started being able to do that. And then after a while, I got a sponsor. But um, I felt like I was chasing and then being chased by other people. But I think I always kept working hard, you know, not to yeah. up on the back, but I always tried to work hard and, you know, through it all. It's for me, it's like obviously working with working with Barry, like when they get these number one songs and they beat the record that was held by Van Hale and a three days grace or something like you, Keith, who world champion one year, two years, five years. And it's like to maintain that level of just domination in terms of it must be so rewarding, too. But here's the thing, too, knowing both you guys, you're never happy with that. and You always want that next to keep you hold yourself accountable. I think that's very admirable for both of you. Thanks. Yeah. It, it, it's a thing, you know, everybody asks, how does it feel? How does it feel to have these, these successes? And it's wonderful. You know, I, I don't discount it, but uh, I never think about it either. You know, people ask, Oh, how was it to do that tour with so-and-so, or you got to go here all over the world. And yeah, it was great. I already forgot about that because we're working on the next thing. And it's not because it, it's not a, like you said, it's not a cocky thing. It's just, I'm not done yet. I got more to do. You know, I, I enjoy that, but I want to experience more things and experience more life. So you want to work even harder at your craft and, and get uh, get better. And even as you get into, not that any of us are old, but older age, you have to even work harder to maintain this physical uh, shell. And uh, that takes a lot more work. Right. Love that. One of the interesting things, Barry, when I get to know you is one of these, well, I think, I forget what show we're at. I think we're at a, a Godsmack a co-headline tour or something a couple years ago. And I look back at the trailer and Keith, sometimes there's not extra rooms backstage in these venues. They'll turn the trailers into like a gym, free weights, kettlebells, battle ropes. It looks like a prison yard and it's hot and sweaty because it's out in the open parking lot. But I, there's a punching bag there like a heavy bag and Barry's up there kind of doing his boxing thing. So Barry, what kind of led you to kind of incorporate boxing into kind of like your workouts and stuff like that? Uh, it's the closest thing cardio that I could get to drumming. Okay. That also helped my mind and my mental space, you know, maybe release some frustrations and things like that. And I've, I've always been a fan of boxing and been a fan of martial arts. I also studied Wing Chun um, and, uh, you know, not nearly to the level of, of you, Keith, as far as the martial arts go, but I've always had a, a joy of doing it and practicing it in the mental game that it takes. And that was the only way I could really bring it to the road was a heavy bag style workout because I don't have anybody to spar with out there that none of my bandmates or people on the road are interested or, or do any of this stuff. So all I can do is, is fight the big heavy bag to, to have that experience, you know, and it also gives me uh, that release and warms up my arms, shoulders, this whole movement that is used pretty heavily in the show. And Keith, I know we talked about before, your boxing background, kickboxing, how important was kick, or if you could kind of reiterate, how important was kind of like the boxing aspect to kind of fulfill yourself as a fighter, make you more complete? Well, one of the, one of the, I, I had so many great experiences with boxing because um, 
when I was going to that same time period where I, I picked up Steve Largent, I was president of the boxing club at the University of Washington. They had a really sweet boxing room there with a ring and heavy bags. And then there was a speed bag room that was a separate room. And we had um, an older pro um, who, ex-pro, who was one of the trainers. And then we had this guy who was a collegiate boxer. And it was great because we'd have smokers with like, because these guys trained other places too. So we had smokers between each other and stuff like that. But I think like for boxing, one of the things that, and, and maybe you can appreciate this very, I'm sure is, you know, is the rhythm, you know, the rhythm, you know, that I would think is very similar to drumming. A lot of times I say, do it like you're beating on a drum and you don't want to miss the beat. You know, Absolutely. <laughs> what I say to people, you know, and I think it helped my rhythm so much. So did the weapons training, you know, because um, I, I'm grateful to the, the wushu because, you know, like when you're doing flowers with a, with, with swords or with a long stick, your body has to be really supple to, kind of get out of the way of the weapon so it can do its thing, you know? And um, I feel like that, that started to show up in my boxing and I would go, I would go, um, I would be boxing someone and I would, I would realize the application of some martial arts move that I couldn't figure out before because I, I love the reality of boxing. I love that it's my fist and your fist and we're standing like this, you know, there's very little theory involved, you know, like in martial arts, a lot of times, even in self-defense, you see it a lot. Oh, the guy is going to do this. They come at you. They stab you. One, two, three. You do this. You know, that's different than having some crazy guy swinging a knife at you any which way, you know, and boxing can get like that. And so, you know, one of the things I, I, I learned through boxing was how to get hit, you know. And I, I remember being a very big fan of Vander Holyfield for fact that some of the toughest heavyweight fights that you'll ever see are ones that he was in. Yep. You know, and he was so good at taking a punch and punching somebody right back. And I would go, I want to do that. I don't want to just get hit and be able to take a punch. I want to be able to take a punch and hit you right back immediately, you know? And so I, I would practice that, you know, if I felt I was getting a little bit like, <laughs> you know, when somebody's punching, <laughs> Get that uncomfortable feeling. I would step back, take a deep breath, and go. Go ahead, let him hit you. It's it's not going to be that bad. Just see if you can hit him right back. You know, and it was. It, it's boxing is such a great sport. That's why I think. I mean, it's an art. It's an art form, and I think that's why you know a lot of the great fighters now in the U in in MMA are good boxers or have have really learned a lot from boxing. You know, yeah. it, it's that in close striking, you know, and it's so awesome. Like if I and, and the defense, you know, I get really into it, you guys, because I love boxing. So I much. love it because the some of my moments where I, I was able to see a punch coming and it's almost like things slow down when you're in the present moment. When you're really present, it's sort of like being in the zone and you start to be able to be aware of things that are are it's just a little strange you know and you probably have it when you're playing the drums sometimes you you, you just notice something because you're so present you're so in the moment that things become very vivid and and can almost slow down and so like responding to a punch that was one of the things that fascinated me with boxing because 
you know, in, in, karate, in, in karate or taekwondo, you're standing back, kicking each other, feeling kind of safe because of the distance. And boxing is much more intimate, you know. And I used to be amazed with how does he see that and duck with that when it's so close. And then I, I started to experience that, you know, and I was like, this is this is incredible. This is awesome. You know, you can't be, you know, like in fear or judgment, like judgment to me is the worst thing, you know, to keep you out of the moment. You're judging things. And then you all of a sudden you're stuck in the past. This reminds me of that time I got beat up by my dad when I was a little boy or something like that. You know, right. you don't have time for that stuff. You, know? <laughs> you got yeah, to be watching for that shoulder to drop so you can duck it. One of the cool things, I, I know Barry and I, I think we, was, we all, you guys got off the stage. I think we were two with Papa Roach. We all were watching the Conor McGregor uh, yeah. Mayweather fight. And okay. then I think, I think we watched the Tyson Fury Wilder fight. But there's just something about watching two guys in a boxing ring. And I guess UFC itself, it's very like, like watching Warriors, the best of what they do compete, is, is yeah. something very... There's no team. Yeah, you have the corner and stuff like that, but it's just two individuals kind of going at it. And it's, just, it's just something very awesome about watching that. I, yeah, I agree. Was, and, oh, why don't you go ahead, Barry? I don't no, know. please. Um, I was just going to say that, you know, it's, it's amazing to watch the people that do that for a living. The, the skill set, it, it amazes me how much just from, you know, our childhood that – it has grown into such an amazing sport with the skill sets being so mixed together that these, these men and women that are, are true, you know, MMA fighters, you watch them and, and, and Keith, you know, you see the boxing techniques and then you see the techniques from Taekwondo and then you see the, the Muay Thai and the Jiu Jitsu and it all comes together. And you're like, that is the scariest, most beautiful thing I've ever seen. These people are just insane fighters. And I can't imagine not only the amount of work that it takes to do that, but the mindset when you're going to get in a ring and do something of that nature, you know, yeah. it just blows my mind. I'm in awe of those guys. You know, I, 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 every time blows my mind, the, the five minute rounds and being able to manage all those different skill sets, you know, and, uh, you know, and then you have the different matchups, you know, of, you know, like, I don't know if you watched the one just this last weekend. Yep. With Habib, Habib and Gaethje. And I thought Gaethje would do a little more than he did, actually. But, I mean, I'm a very big Gaethje fan. and But I was so surprised that, um, that Habib just walked him down, walked him down. You know, and this, the, the abilities of that guy, he's just like he's a real – he was striking with him. You know, he wasn't – he didn't, like, take him right down. And then, you know, like – you remember McGregor went four rounds, you know, I mean, he got, he got tapped out in the fourth round and this was the second round this time. And, uh, and then he, he retired. It's just, it's an amazing sport to watch, but, you know, uh, back to boxing for a second, you know, the simplicity of it, you know, and when you look at Mayweather beat uh, Connor, who is a very, one of the very good MMA boxers, you know, he has, very good boxing skills. And then he beat a guy named, um, oh, from Japan. His name is Tenshin. And he's one of the top kickboxers from Japan, but he's only like 21 years old now. And he boxed Mayweather too. And, you know, it's just a different level that the, the guys who specialize in boxing get to when somebody has to manage all those skills. 
And so I still love really watching boxing too, because, because it's, it's so specialized and it's so, I mean, Tyson Fury, man, oh. incredible boxer. And that match, that match, um, that was, that was incredible. I mean, Wilder too, you know, like he was going, you didn't let me go out of my shield. You didn't let me go out of my shield, you know? And I was like, you got to respect that guy so much, you know? And he was hurt, you know, in that fight and he wanted to keep going and warriors, you know? Yeah. It's the, uh, right. And so with Tyson kind of obviously coming out of retirement to fight in a couple weeks, how, how do you kind of shut that? Is it like Keith is a competitor in that aspect of the fighting? Is it tough to kind of, once you decide to retire, did you, do you retire because you have nothing else to give and you want to be a teacher now? Or is, you still have, when you see a fight, and you're like, man, I wish I could kind of go in there. Like, how do you, how do you, you shut know, that off? How does you know, that honestly, I, It was because I, I think about this sometimes because I trained mostly with boxers and kickboxers. And then I would go fight in those point tournaments. And, you know, guys that specialize in that are so good at tagging you, you know, like you can't, I remember seeing Jerry Trimble do that one day and I'm sure he was good at it, but I remember one day, you know, you, you get tagged with a back fist and they score points on you and you're, you know, it doesn't hurt or anything, but you're going, you know, <laughs> you, you, gotta, you gotta, you gotta train for that. And uh, now I forget what you were asking me. Well, like, how oh, someone, like Tyson, right. How do you kind of shut that off? Yeah. I think it's, I think it's hard, you know, because, you know, like I stopped, doing it i was taking i took like four kickboxing matches and uh some of them i didn't get paid for uh two of them i got like i got like i think the most i got was 250 dollars. and i was like i think you know i'm gonna make more money if i go into the movie business you know right and you know hopefully you don't have to get beat up as much you know but um i was you know so that made it a little easier, but I didn't stop training. You know, I found a great place in Los Angeles to work out. And it was a really good place. It was just really good, you know, and uh, now I miss it. I'm just, you know, but it's too old for it. But I think that's why a lot of these guys come back. They just, they, they've never felt the the kind of, you know, endorphins and the the, the high that they get from that experience. And you probably, get that on stage sometimes and it's hard to it's hard to give it up you know and yeah that's a fear. I, definitely, I definitely feel that you know yeah absolutely you, that's a fear of the days when you know you don't get the big crowds and those kinds of things and that, yeah. that eye from the stage it's a uh, you don't take it for granted when you get it you know that's why kind of reason why we see some of these old bands like ozzy osbourne postponing tour two years from now the guy and it's just like i get it i totally get it but it's almost like here's a prize fighter, the lead singer that doesn't want to, that wants to go out on a shield, doesn't want to be told he can't because of a pandemic. But at what point do you, can you, can you, it's just, it's very fascinating to me. And I don't ever want someone to stop doing something because someone's telling him to, but there is, I, I just wish I could find out whatever that drive is. I, I want to, you know, like, I just want to say one of my heroes is Mick Jagger because oh, hell yeah. you know, like, I was like, I, I'm, I'm just blown away. I'm going, I want to be like that, you know, when I'm his age, you know, and being able to perform that way. There's very little of his age is getting between him and being able to, you know, be at his best, you know, and somehow he must really, I mean, I don't know what he does, but he must take care of himself, you know, because he's seen, 
I mean, I don't know, maybe you know, Barry, more about it, but that is inspiring, I think, to a lot of people, you know? I don't, I mean, you see that comeback video of him dancing in the, the studio and stuff. And After a heart too. attack, right, or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah or he had a heart or whatever. Yeah, he's gotta be taking very good care of himself. Yeah, he partied early on, but I bet at this point, he's got to be taking care of himself to be able to move like that. Yeah. And that kind of goes what we talked about before we started this, Keith, is that how important fitness is to a musician or a martial artist. Like you, you need that to sustain a high level of what and it's, it's, yeah, no, fitness is awesome. Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, I, I, I want to keep doing it for as long as I possibly can, you know, and that's why we were talking uh, about Tabatas a little bit, you yep. know, um, that, you know, that high intensity interval training is, I find it very exhilarating when I do it. I, I feel challenged to get the most out of each, you know, each little set that you're doing each yeah. interval, whether it's 20 seconds or 30 seconds. And it's amazing how, how much you can just murder yourself in, 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 in a good way. In, in, in that a very short period, period of time too. Yeah. It's just, you know, and then you get that 10 seconds. And I'm just, I'm just, you know, it almost seems like non-existent, the 10 seconds, you know, then you're back to work, you know, and I just love it. Right. Barry will jump back in here. Um, it's, it's one of those things too, where I know we talked about off the record or whatever, but like what kind of the product you're working with now, kind of like the boxing thing, like, can you kind of talk about that a little bit? Um, yeah. Um, I always wanted something and, and actually other people are doing, I would call it similar things, but it's also, you know, one of the problems with tubes is you're kind of stuck wherever the tube is, you know, like if you have to put it under your foot or you attach it to a chin up bar or a door and you're working, you're kind of stuck there. So you can't really move your feet around. And one of the things I've always loved about, uh, martial arts is you, you, you move around in sports and stuff like that. You lift one knee, you balance, and this device attaches to you. And I'm sure you've seen the ones that people kickbox with on, on uh, where they have this thing on their waist and they have tubes that go from their hands to the waist and they go to their feet to the waist. Well, this one attaches your hand to your foot. And so you have that. So it works everything in between. And we do a, a lot of martial arts in it. And with this one, you can do, it encourages rotation like medicine balls. Like if you're holding the handle, it's attached to your foot and you take it around this way and the tube actually stretches around your body. So it's tremendous for the core. And so that's been the main thing. That's how I recouped from the, the hip surgeries and the, the motorcycle accident was I was in really good shape from doing it in the first place, but then I was able to get back to it and just, I didn't even do physical therapy for either one of those things. I just worked it myself and my doctors trusted me. They just said, why don't you just do what you do and just do it, you know, you know, moderately at first and then build up slowly. And, and that's what I did. But this is just, I like tubes also as you know, like uh, you were talking about, about you were doing that lift and over and over again and yeah. your elbows. And uh, I started to notice holding the mitts because I hold the mitts a lot for people. And I started to notice my hand getting hit like this because some people hit them 
hard, you know, and sure. my elbows started to get really sore. I think I was getting developing tendonitis. So I switched to holding the paddles and that completely went away. But I, I think um, with, with this, this, with tubes, the thing that I was getting around to is when you use them as opposed to a weight, like if you, like I heard about this guy who was on the USC football team and he was doing bench press and it came down on his throat and he had to, quit football and he was one of the number one prospects hurt his, you know, it hurt something that they couldn't really fix, you know? And, but, but I think a lot of guys do really heavy bench press and they rip their pectoral muscle, you know, at the bottom when they're the most stretched and you're switching directions and going to push it back up. There's more weight there than the, than the actual weight that you have on the bar because there's momentum coming down and you're changing directions and going back up. So it goes up even higher and the most weight is on you is when your muscle is stretched to its weakest point. It doesn't make any sense at all with tubes. And they actually did it with those old Nautilus machines. Yeah. It should get harder as you extend, not harder as you're, you know, when you're at the bottom, the most stretched point, it should be easier then. And tubes are like that. And so I love that. And I love that momentum doesn't become an issue, you know, so I train with tubes. I've done it for years and I think it's really helped me maintain my health and reduce my injuries, you know, and they're versatile. You can create resistance in any direction. You're not relying on gravity for the resistance, you know, so it makes it very, you need more skill, I think, to learn how to use them in a lot of different ways that are very productive um, but it's so worth it. It's, it's, I just think it's really worth it. It sounds like a cool thing that we can bring on tour and stuff where you can pack it in your suitcase. Yeah, absolutely. If you're at the hotel room, like we're always traveling. That's why I love like the chop fit thing, but, or like those, uh, I've been using these a lot now for grip strength and stuff, but yeah. stuff that you can kind of travel with and bring on the road with you. I think just for the mm-hmm. mental sanity is amazing. I think that product Keith is going to be badass. Yeah. I'm, I'm really I'm really working hard on it right now. I, I teach, um, I'm teaching uh, four of those classes a week. And uh, I'm telling you, I, it kicks my ass every time. And I'm in a good way. I love it, you know, and it has, you can do shoulder, but you do a lot of stuff standing. And, you know, for example, I can get into, I don't know if you, Barry, if you do any yoga, mm-hmm. but you can get into like a, a warrior one, and you can do like a dumbbell press or a chest fly and your whole core has to support that activity to uh, yeah. hold your position against that resistance, your posture. And then you're working on flexibility with your legs. They're having to hold you and you're, you're working that the same muscles that you would if you laid on a bench and your core was completely out of it, you know? And so everything about it is about balance, core strength, flexibility, you know, and you can go fast too, because with a weight, like if I punch with a weight, when I get to that full extension, the weight wants to keep going and then I'm jerking it back. If I do that with a tube, it it actually keeps me under resistance the whole time and momentum is never an issue, you know? And so there's a a lot of reasons to, there's a lot of uh, benefits of using tubes and I'm a big fan. (laughs) It sounds like it, and the full body workout aspect of it, you know, where you're you're engaging more muscles than just focusing on on one muscle group. Yeah, uh, is amazing. You can get a lot more done in a lot little lot less time, I would imagine, as well. 
um, which is good for, you know, everybody's on the go. And, uh, you know, the portability of being able to pack it on the road would be great because people travel a lot more now than they ever did. So, yeah. Those Kabatas, you guys, you know, like I think they're, you know, the guy who created that, if you ever read, you should look it up and just read what he did. He did a test and he trained the Japanese, uh, I think, Olympic speed skating team or something. And but he took groups of regular people. And that's what was really interesting to me. And he took one group and he put them in a one four minute workout per day, four days a week. And he put the other group in one hour of moderate exercise five days a week. And all of the people who worked out for, for the four minutes outperformed all of those people. Wow. Improving their cardio, weight loss, and muscle tone. You know, nice. and it's intense. Uh, four minutes is intense, but you do get those breaks in the four minutes too. You're working, you're working, I think, for three of the four minutes and you're resting for one of the, uh, you know, but they're right. 10 second rest intervals. It's amazing. It's just amazing. It is one of my favorite styles of workout are the Tabatas or the, the yeah. hit ones or any of those kinds of things. Yeah. Doing the interval training. It is absolutely my favorite. Been the most frustrating thing of, of being injured, not being able to do a lot of those, you know, so I'll end up doing sprints up and down the road or things just to try to get that same feeling. But the feeling you can get from one of those workouts is absolutely amazing. I don't know this, you know, for sure, but I bet a lot of UFC fighters use that method because when you're, even though you're, you're working for a five minute round, it, it goes in intervals, you know, it really does. You know, like you're working really hard for, you know, unless you're fighting, uh, Habib, then you're working hard the whole five minutes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> There's no intervals. No. And it kind of makes sense, Barry, because when you look at your set list, like, you have a three to five minute song that depending on whatever Brent says, or whatever the break between you have that time to kind of reset. But now it kind of clicks why it's now it's very fascinating that you, that that same type of workout mentality is actually incorporated in you guys performing a show. I never put two and two together until you just said it. Never even thought about it. <laughs> so hearing Keith talk about that, I was like, holy shit, these guys are actually doing a actual Tabata workout playing songs. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. And, and I think that's why the cardio is so important, whether you're in a boxing match or a stage match, you know, it's still so heavy cardio. That's where you're going to get winded, you know, not, not necessarily always taking the punch, but the, keeping up is half the battle, not being winded and losing that power. So, yeah, I mean, I know when we, I did that study uh, for the, the drummer's lab and it was the study that this young lady is doing out of Canada and uh, she hooks us up to meters to see how much, uh, energy drummers are expending throughout a show and it was mind-numbing to me it's the same as a, a, a soccer game or something I think I did in a 90-minute show 1200 calories or something crazy like that and, and the amount of energy and then you could see it graphed on paper the Tabata style thing I never even thought about it but you see the spike and which songs have more energy expenditure and it's not always it was impressive to me that some of the songs that expended more energy are technically easier to play right so it's it's fascinating. Have you ever uh, put a heart monitor on you when you're drumming? Yeah, that was part of that one, and I have done it before just to okay. see what's going on. Yeah, uh, I just think it. it um, do you do you ever um, uh, become aware of your breathing while you're drumming? Yes. Okay. Absolutely, and I think I learned a lot of that some from. Uh, from martial arts and trying to be calm, as you were saying before, you know, getting hit and trying to keep your composure and stay calm. Um, 
is never that easy. And I, you know, nobody likes to get hit in the face. I mean, I guess some people do, but I sure don't. Um, but, uh, you know, learning to control that is very important for stage two. Cause when you first go on stage, those endorphins and, you know, the, those first massive crowds you get to play in, um, you can find yourself making errors and, and not focused on a song because you're so excited and you can't control your breath. But as soon as you can, internally find that peace and calm yourself everything becomes fluid and even though your heart rate might be through the roof the fluidity comes back and it still happens this day you know we always talk about it within the band that if you ever lost those jitters or that excitement before you go on stage you might as well quit you know what's the point um i, I still love it and i still get excited and uh you, sometimes you come out of the gate for example playing download festival in england where it's a hundred thousand people that you're playing in front of and it's just a sea of people wow it takes two or three songs to calm down and you have to focus on breathing breathing is definitely a large part of it that's so cool is it difficult to bury i know like obviously smaller crowds bigger crowds but are you able to do the same show in front of a thousand people or a hundred people or Keith, is it easier for you to compete one-on-one -on -one with no crowd or do you like just having thousands of people cheer you on and stuff? Does that help with you with the fight or is the uh... One of the things about karate tournament is some of them had big spectators for the finals at night, but it was usually all the people that competed during the day. Okay. You know, like a lot of the competitors will come and family members and stuff like that. But uh, during the day when you're competing in the eliminations, there's not like big crowds or anything like that. And the biggest crowd that I ever experienced was at the world championships. And I'm pretty sure it was 1987 um, in Munich, Germany and the Olympics hall, same place they held like gymnastics and stuff like that. Um, it was standing room only. And I think it was four, it was over 14,000 people just packed in there and they did the whole thing like they do in soccer, which I'm sure you've experienced Barry, where they start howling and chanting. And I, I felt really pumped up by it. I felt, uh, you know, like, you know, I felt like, you know, I want to do a good job, you know, I really want to do a good job, you know? And, so I think it, it can be, yeah, very inspiring. And I felt it before even at tournaments where, you know, not quite as much, you know, uh, not quite as many people were there. But we have our big tournaments here where in the finals there are thousands of people, you know, like the Battle of Atlanta. Um, and I did I, – I won a grand championship in Madison Square Gardens once. And that was huge for me because of the boxing history, you know, and – and so that was really cool. That's cool. I, I, I think it's the same. Um, the crowd definitely can sometimes dictate how, how you feel for the show. Right. I think it's harder to play in front of a smaller group of people because you feel, at least from my perspective especially, as the drummer, I'm pretty far back on the stage most of the time. So I can see the first three, four rows, and then everybody else is just a blur. But if you're in a club playing to 200 people, I see everybody's single face and I think they're looking at me and, you know, look like I can hide behind that drum. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's harder to play in a smaller group. I think the most pressure for me sometimes is, is recording the record, being in the studio, being under that, you know, a lot of guys and gals get red, they call it red light fever. That red light recording light comes on and they can't perform. 
because they know it's being recorded and that, you know, the producer and the engineer are listening meticulously to every little thing you're doing. And some people just can't do it. So I think for me, even that is probably more pressure than anything is being in that studio. Cause you know, somewhere in the back of your brain that that is being put down forever and yeah. it's never going to change once it's there. So you really want to, it took a while that I think that was a bigger learning curve than going up on stage and you might screw up and have a bad show or you might mess up a song and that was that day and you get to do it again tomorrow. Um, and you beat yourself up about, it. I know I do, I don't like to make mistakes. And if as a drummer, I make a mistake, it usually throws the whole thing off. Um, so I try not to ever make a mistake, but we're human. Um, the, the, the pressure there in the studio being forever can be daunting. One of the interesting things, Barry, this is kind of like segue to the last part here, is it, when I was doing the martial arts talks with people like Keith and Lauren and Kathy Long and everyone, Richard Orton, mm -hmm. you, you, you kind of off cuff said you should talk to my Wing Chun instructor in Florida. Yeah. And I had no idea that you are actually into like obviously the martial arts. I know we've talked and stuff, but how did you kind of settle on that specific martial art? Uh, I think initially it started as a kid falling in love with uh, Chinese styles as a whole. I thought they were all beautiful. Um, and then of course, Bruce Lee being the big superstar that he was um, watching that and then, and tracing kind of his lineage, which was initially Wing Chun before Jeet Kune Do. Um, that's what led it to me. And then one day I got curious and had some time off uh, between records, like, hey, what is locally near me? And so I was looking up different martial arts and, and trying to find what fit me and sung to me. And it was Wing Chun and, and in meeting with uh, Stephen Petrie, Jonathan Petrie, who is the, the teacher here in Jacksonville Atlantic Warriors. Um, it wasn't one of those type of places you get into and it's okay, we're, here's your belt system. Here's how much you're going to pay and let's get to work class setting. It was, here's what we're going to learn. Here's the lineage before you even get to even touch anybody. We're going to go through all of these basics. You're going to have to learn all the terms. You better have these definitions. That's where you're going to be tested at first. And it's going to be a long drawn out thing. And I went, yes, this is what I want. I wanted, I related it very much to drumming and he was able to relate very much to me through his training. And we found these similarities of, okay, if I'm going to use traditional grip and I'm going to hit the drum, here's your motion. And you're going to do this forever until that motion is perfect. And he was the same way with, you know, the different uh, punches and blocks and all of those things. It was still repetitive motion. You know, here we are, we're going to practice this over and over again. And, and the direction and center line, it was, it was an anatomy class and it fascinated me. And I think if you can find what I found in it without rambling too much was a great teacher. And it's so hard to find a great teacher when you find one that you can relate to. I think that's everything. Um, no matter whether it's martial art or an instrument. And that's what really got it, got me into it. And then to see myself progress as a person and slowly within Wing Chun, um, it's just been a, a joy for me and something that, you know, I have actually not been in a while and I miss because of touring and everything else. And he's moved um, that it, it, I still find myself going back to the basic forms and doing those things. But I'm like, man, I got to get, closer to it again it's always part of you you know love that and keith if you could kind of talk about what was the catalyst 
to kind of get into Wushu and what is the different main difference and what similarities between Wushu and Wing Chun? Um, well, first of all, I just want to say I, I also was inspired by Bruce Lee and wanted to do Chinese martial arts because I thought that's what he did. I wanted to do, I thought he did Kung Fu. And so I, I wanted to do Kung Fu. And um, uh, oddly enough, you know, this goes with what you're saying. You probably know this, that Kung Fu, the word, doesn't mean martial arts. It means to get good at something. And the implication is to, you know, deeper than that is, is, is to have the discipline to get good at something that's difficult to get good at. You know, like you could be uh, Kung Fu at being a chef, you know, um, you could be Kung Fu like you're definitely Kung Fu as a drummer, you know, because you've had the discipline to work hard and figure it out and, um, you know, keep working at all those fundamentals for years and years and years to where you don't have to think about them anymore. They happen. And then you, that's how more of you can unfold into whatever it is you're doing, I think. And I love the, the, the Chinese philosophy and stuff like that. The thing about my experience with Wushu was I was kind of blown away because when my instructor who was from China first showed me the videos of these guys doing Wushu, I was, I was like, Oh my God, these guys are so good. You know, and they are, they're so good. But the cultural revolution in China and everything, um, they tried to get rid of all tradition of religion and uh, they tried to get rid of the traditional martial arts, you know, because they didn't want things that would empower the people, I think, or something. Yeah. And uh, so, so I was really blown away when I got to China, I went there in 1980, that they didn't fight. They didn't, they didn't spar, they didn't fight. They did these beautiful forms and it was, a lot of it was inspired by the Chinese opera, you know, like the Monkey King. And, and stories like that. And uh, I was really shocked. And I think I was so naive that I didn't really appreciate it for what it was completely. But I thought they should be fighting. You know, I thought they should be, right. you know, like learning how to defend themselves and stuff, you know. Um, but but anyway, you know, I, I think one of the things I did learn from them and, you know, it's in a communist country and very, you know, in 1980, it wasn't as nearly as advanced as it is now that these people, each province had their own wushu team and they trained six hours a day, six days a week, just like the gymnasts. And they, they were employees of the government that got paid to train. And what I learned was what it's like to train six hours a day, six days a week. And, you know, that, you know, it's it's it, it it was really enlightening to me just to see how hard a professional athlete would train you know and so i got really inspired and when i came back from being in china i tried to keep up as much of that and that's why i end up training on my own a lot because you can't always find somebody to train with here and you can't make that an excuse so a lot of times you know uh i said i i solo trained like 80% of the time and the other, the 20% of the time I was with other people. Sure. So it's crazy that the legacy of Bruce Lee and what he stood for resonates not only with martial arts, but athletes and business owners and entrepreneurs and bakers and chefs. Like some of the stuff I watch with these cooking shows, like some of these top people are like, they always quote Bruce Lee in the kitchen. And it's like, it's crazy that someone like that could, 
filter through like the entire world and the way of thinking. That that's just an incredible. It's it's just awesome to hear what people are like. Man, I I did this, did this because of Bruce Lee, and that's got to be awesome. And, and when you think about it, he was a he was a young man, you know, and uh, died at passed away at thirty two, and you know, I, I was a lot of times I would go. It just blew me away the things that he thought about. You know, he was a brilliant guy. You know, and way ahead of his time. You know. Yeah, he was definitely ahead of his time. And then, and for me, that was the first time I saw somebody with that kind of dedication to just about anything that was just yeah. there. He was showing it to everybody. I mean, you had you could get his book, Tao Jeet Kune Do, which I have on the shelf over there, which is a classic in the martial arts. And it, just to read his philosophy and everything and to, to watch his interviews and the way he spoke, it was unlike anything I had ever heard before and since, really, in a way. Yeah, I think he's, I, I think he's kind of, his inspiration is going to be timeless. You know, I think it will go on and on and on. Yeah, he was one of those superstars. He was a shiny star that was only here for a blink, but it changed everything. Yeah, I agree. Well, I want to thank you guys for jumping on here today. This has been cool, kind of talking about fitness and the martial yeah. arts. And That's really I, awesome. Very, nice very good to meet you. Yeah, hopefully next time we cross paths, we can actually give each other a handshake. That'd be nice. That'd be awesome. All right. Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many rogues that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at AveryRich.com. Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app.